Hey, welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was exuberant. That was too much, right? No, that was uh, good. Okay. Well, welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast. Today, we are going to talk about shrimp, all different types of shrimp, shrimp that you can, different varieties, what you can do with it, how easy they are to cook with. And I hope you like shrimp because that's what this episode is about. Right, Tara? That's right. Tara does all the outlines, which helps greatly. She does so much. She even helps me with my appearance. She said I had a poppy seed in my teeth, so I just had to go up and get rid of it. So I just had a poppy seed bagel before I went on uh, camera now. Always right? a good idea to have a poppy seed bagel before you're going to be on camera. That is right. Before we get into the topic of today's podcast, we're going to do food news. I love this segment. Tara, what do you have for food news for today? Okay, so the first news story about food is something that I think is near and dear to many of those in our audience, and that is the news that Campbell's Soup Company is acquiring Sovo's Brands, which is the company that owns Rayo's. Campbell will be paying... Campbell's. Campbell's. Campbell's Soup Company will be acquiring this company for $2.7 billion. And Sovos Brands also owns Michelangelo's and Nusa, which is a yogurt company. I actually really like their yogurt. Um, but it seems that Rayo's fans are super concerned that Campbell's Soup is going to mess with their beloved jarred sauce. But... From everything that I've gathered, Campbell's is promising that they're not going to touch the sauce at all. Well, we will find out. Now, we did the taste test on all the sauces. You, if you recall, I'm sure you have seen that one. It has almost a million views on YouTube. It has some of the worst comments you've ever, you will ever see in your life on a YouTube video. People <laughs> were extremely offended that James and I didn't vote for Rayo's as being the number one sauce. Actually, Victoria was our victor. That's right. Rayo's does taste good. As far as Rayo's, the company, and you loving it and thinking like Rayo's, like the cook and at the, you know, at the Harlem location is making sauce for you. He's not, and he never was. Yeah, that company, what, what's the name of it again? Savos? So Sovos. Sovos. Brands. They've owned Rayo's for a long time. And a lot of people in the comment section tower were saying that they worked at the factory that made that sauce. But they, I think they said it made all the other sauces too at the factory, which to my understanding isn't too big of a surprise because it's not like every company has their own factories for making, right. I mean, a company can have 600 products. They can't have, they can't make them all in-house. They they have other companies do it for them. So, so that's the case with Rayo's. They've been doing that. I have a feeling the formula and the taste, if you like it, will probably remain exactly the same. Do you think so? I would think so. I mean, Campbell's Soup owns Prego, right? So, of course, they're going to want to differentiate between Prego, Rayo's. I mean, I think a lot of times when a company, like a food company, acquires another food company, they do their best to try and keep it consistent because they know that there's so many fans out there that want to continue to consume that product yeah. the way that it is. Campbell's probably wants to fill out their food line category. So they have low end, which is Prego. No offense if you like Prego, but Rayo's is going to come in as their high end product and they're definitely going to try to keep them differentiated. You know, all these jarred sauces I felt were, all of them were inferior to making it, making one yourself. 
you know, you do it yourself. You're starting with just the raw ingredients. You're starting with a good can of tomatoes, and then you could put in whatever type of olive oil, very fresh garlic yourself. If you like onions, you know, you can really get that tasting exactly how you want. And then you can finish it with fresh basil if you desire. This is just hard to, to put in a jar and for it to stay good for possibly five years later when you're opening the thing. So I guess that's it about, about Rayos. Let's yeah. move on. So the next topic that I thought was interesting was that a family in Michigan found a live frog in their triple washed organic spinach. Um, so the frog they found was a Pacific tree frog, which is native to California. And the frog has since, the frog was alive when it was in the spinach, it was kind of the same color as the spinach, so camouflaged. The frog has since been relocated and is alive and well. The thing that I found interesting was that this company claims to triple wash their spinach. So that gives me pause because, well, if they triple washed it, how did the frog get mm. in? Unless they did triple wash it and then during the packaging process, the frog hopped in. But how are frogs there in the factory? Somebody could have just put a frog in there, okay? Like, like a, a disgruntled employee? A disgruntled employee. A frog could have jumped in when that, before it got sealed up, because the plastic seals these containers up. But I assume somebody could also plant one in if they wanted to. And I'll just tell you, frogs do sometimes end up in places you don't think they do. Do you recall in Minnesota when we were moving out of our house that we lived in for three years, there was a frog in the middle of James's bedroom. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. How I did that get there? I forgot about that for a while. How did it get there? I don't know. And this was on the second floor. I forgot about that frog. That's right. Yeah. So so who knows what happened here? I just, I, I came across a story. I thought it was uh, worth sharing yeah. with you. So let me ask you a question then, because I've always washed even stuff that says triple washed. Until recently, when I found like, you know, something that was grown in, in a hothouse that seemed like it was really clean and maybe didn't need to be washed again on top of the company's triple washing. So I've been kind of skipping that. I think I'm going back to washing everything again. Yeah, it can't hurt. I mean, we, we did speak about this in what, in the produce episode, right? It's probably not a bad idea, you know, get a good salad spinner and just make it a part of your, your routine. I was saying how it's a little silly, ridiculous to wash an avocado or a lemon. No, lettuce that you're going to consume and you're not cooking, I would definitely wash that again. Yeah. I, I would. If you want to make a good salad, so say you, that was spinach, right? Mm -hmm. So you do a spinach salad, you would, um, Still, you gotta you gotta really dry that off. Or oh yeah, it, once your salad gets soggy, then not yeah. so good. Yeah. The next thing I thought was interesting or stupid is another TikTok trend, and it's eating three large carrots a day so that you consume enough beta carotene to actually change your skin color and give yourself an orange glow. What do you think of that? I think TikTok represents what it's kind of, it's the bleeding edge of stupidity. Like it's where if you want to get stupid, you can get stupid all day mm -hmm. long. Like you can watch people jump across buildings. You can watch them climb a mountain without, you know, having a strap on them. You can do, you really, I mean, it's, some of the stuff is just downright insane. But as far as eating our carrots, that's not going to be a bad thing. I mean, if they eat too many carrots, no. they eat too many carrots. Yeah, the only thing that I could find like that it's it could be bad is that 
having too much beta carotene could interfere with absorption of other minerals. So it's not bad to have three carrots a day. But I have heard of like, you know, when babies start first having solid food, one of the things that parents will give their baby is those mashed up carrots. So I've heard of babies, because they're so tiny, having to like go to the doctor because they turned orange um, from having too many carrots, which again, it's not a concern. I had no idea that did that. I mean, I know on TikTok, it's predominantly they they... they have the people using, which is really bad for you, this product called Milanotan. So Milanotan, you inject into your body. Oh. It's actually, it's not even, it wasn't even invented for to get tan, but it was such a good product that it's used off-label and is called Milanotan now. I and think I've heard of it. Su- I just it didn't know what it was. It makes you super tan. Okay. Like it will turn, you You can get as tan, you just keep injecting more of it and I mean, they say it like increases your freckles mm-hmm. and like moles. If you don't moles that you don't even have, they come out and and then people are like, "Well, I you know I stopped using it and they went away." But yeah, you, you're fooling around with the molecular your your actual like DNA itself. Oh, that's scary. So it's it you know there's pictures and it's all over TikTok of people going from like pale white, yeah, like Nordic to super tan. Yeah, no, I'm. If it's going to mess with the DNA, that doesn't sound good. Yeah. So I think carrots is probably the better alternative. Probably. Yeah. Probably. The last one I wanted to talk about was Beyond Meat. Okay. Beyond Meat. Stock. Now, this happened last week. So this happened on uh, 8-8 when they reported earnings. Stock tumbled last Tuesday's trading uh, after they reported um, week sales. They cut their full year revenue forecast and walked back their goals of becoming cash flow positive in the second half of 2023. You know, it's crazy you could be like one of these companies and you cannot have be cash flow positive really forever. As long as you have venture capital funding and everything, you'll continue to move. And I don't, you know, they're no, they don't need that. They're, they're a publicly traded company now. But the CEO, Brown, he blames special interest groups for seeding fear and doubt around Beyond's ingredients and manufacturing processes. I thought that was interesting, Tara. Yeah, have you ever had Beyond Meat? Because I haven't. I haven't, and I've I've wanted to try it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if they're kind of like tapping out the amount of people that are going to have it. Doesn't Burger King sell it or McDonald's? Yeah, or? I think it's Burger King. I know they sell Beyond Meat at Whole Foods, and I think I've seen it at other grocery stores. And I even think Starbucks for a while had a Beyond Meat sausage breakfast sandwich, but I don't think they have it anymore. I think they had like viral marketing initially where they got it, where they created artificial demand. Like companies are experts at this. Nintendo does it when they release their new system. Mm-hmm. Like they, they purposely don't produce enough of them. Right. So it's, you know, I'm sure Sony engages in it too with the PlayStation. But yeah, Beyond Meat was there. And I remember it was that was the time when the marketing was happening. And I'm susceptible to marketing just like you are. We all are susceptible, very susceptible to this type of marketing. And I really wanted to try it. And then I couldn't try it. Now that I can try it and it's available everywhere, I don't really care to try it. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. That's true. But I do think that as far as he's saying that you know, company like they're having bad PR or some people are trying to take them down or whatnot. You would think that at some point, not all vegetarians and vegans want to just have a burger or say like a vegan steak because a steak is still is meat. You mm-hmm. know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, you should maybe name it a different thing. I do wonder how many vegetarians and vegans and, and if you're listening, send us a message and, and let us know. But the v- vegans that I know, they don't really want 
something that reminds them of meat because it's like consuming flesh, which they don't enjoy. And doesn't it have like fake red uh, it, oh, blood? Some of it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, not even blood though. It's supposed to be the myoglobin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, if that's what I, you might be mispronouncing that or I, something, I probably, something yeah. like that. I am. But you know, <laughs> there are, there are places like the place that we lived by in when we lived in Minnesota, the herbivorous butcher, everything that they had there was a replica of right. meat. Like they had vegan prosciutto and, and vegan this vegan that, but I just wonder if you're a vegan, do you really want to eat stuff that reminds you of meat or do you just want to eat some like really tasty vegan food when i lived in the city this was a long time ago there was this really good vegan place do you remember that place yeah what was the name of it candles cafe i can't remember the name of it you might be right but if they served food that was 100 vegan and it wasn't trying to be something that it wasn't mm -hmm. they didn't call it burger or it was really steak good. on the menu the food was really good and this is this is over 20 years ago so it wasn't too popular to be a vegan back then we sure as heck weren't vegans and i've never been a vegan in my life but i really i'm always i always want to try good food and it doesn't matter that it's this is beef or this is pork or this is chicken or this is a bunch of vegetables i just want it to taste good mm -hmm. yeah do you know what i mean mm -hmm. and that place it was good yeah anyway that is enough of food news let's move on to today's topic of shrimp who doesn't like shrimp well vegans don't like shrimp what i thought would be helpful is for you to talk to me like I'm a five-year-old or like I'm an alien from another planet. I've never seen shrimp before. I've never had it. I've never cooked with it. And I think it would be really helpful for you to kind of just start from the very beginning and the basics about shrimp. Okay. And one of those areas to start with is shrimp sizes. Let's just back up right before the sizes. Shrimp are really easy to make. If you're a novice cook, and you're trying to maybe get out of that pasta box or you have like five dishes you can make and you want to expand quickly, move into shrimp because you can find shrimp and we'll talk about it in a minute that are you know not too expensive and that are easy to prepare. So Tara asked about the sizes of the shrimp. You'll either see them listed one of two ways. It'll be like 1216, 12-16. That means 12 to 16 per pound. Or it'll say something like U16. That means 16 or or under per pound. So the lower the number, 16 is a is a big shrimp. So if you if you see U16, that's a big shrimp. You can't trust jumbo, extra large, colossus, anything like that. Often prawns are really shrimp and shrimps are really prawns. It's really just what the seller, there's not really anything regulating any of this, but what you can always go by and is 100% accurate is that is those numbers. Is the U count. Yeah, and actually I found a chart that kind of um, illustrates wit, which numbers per pound correlate to the description size. So like a colossal shrimp, is, which is the largest, would be fewer than 15 per pound, whereas a jumbo shrimp would fall into that 16 to 25 category. And then it goes down from there, like large, medium, small. 
um, a small would be 51 or greater. We have 410 recipes on our site. We put up two to three a week. So, you know, if you're listening to this a couple months from now, there'll probably be 500 recipes on the site. There's a lot of shrimp recipes. There's a lot of recipes, period, that aren't brought up to the standards that we would like. Current standards, our standards continue to improve. So I would, in order to help people in the beginning, I would be writing jumbo shrimp or extra large shrimp. And, you know, you, what we just spoke about, what the hell, that doesn't mean anything. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not a universal uh, figure. You know, it's not a universal naming, naming system. So now every time we write it, we will always just include the U count and, that's how I would buy them. And you, you will notice that the the larger the shrimp, so the lower that you count, the much more expensive they get. That's right. But that's not the only thing that makes them expensive or cheap. It's also the variety of shrimp. So once you've determined the size of the shrimp, like if, if you're, an, like you said, a novice cook, you're reading the recipe, the recipe says use, you know, jumbo shrimp or whatever. Now that you know a jumbo shrimp is like the 16 to 25 count you go to the store are you better off getting frozen shrimp or fresh shrimp in my opinion you're almost always better off getting frozen shrimp now Why is if you that? if you live by the fulton market if you live near a boat in louisiana it is it's a different story now a lot of boats commercial boaters they will actually fresh flash freeze these on the boat so even if you do live near there sometimes they just come they come in they bring them in they're they're already frozen everybody's watched and watched like the discovery show um uh deadliest catch i mean that it deals with king crabs but yeah. you know you see what they do there uh, you know uh, how you see how it works but yeah for the most part I would say 99% unless you own a restaurant and you, you know, it doesn't, it also, it also matters what type of restaurant you own. If you own a fancy restaurant, you're going to have different distributors coming to you with the best product. Like if you own a Japanese, if you own a sushi restaurant, you're going to have some really good people pulling up. Say, no, you have to sell the freshest stuff. But if you own a TGI Fridays, you know, it's not the same thing. I would say for for you as a consumer and for me, we should buy, we should be buying frozen shrimp. Yeah, I would agree. And, and actually, all the the research I kind of did on this leading up to this, that's the consensus. Okay, was that you should be buying frozen shrimp. The other thing that I found is just a little tip, and that's if you're looking through bags of frozen shrimp, if you see freezer burn, you might want to skip over that bag because what that means is that the shrimp have started to partially thaw um, before being refrozen, which can be bad for its texture and flavor. I don't think it's dangerous to consume. That's not what it said. It said it would affect the flavor and texture. Just so you know, when you go to, and I'm just gonna use Whole Foods as an example, because a lot of people, rightfully or wrongfully, we associate Whole Foods with like the pinnacle of a shopping experience. And there's a most, there's, I think there's a Whole Foods in every state. There's probably multiples. So we're, we're, we're all have a better chance of being familiar with this place. And you go by their seafood section and you'll see a lot of shrimp that are thawed. And you say, to, you think to yourself, those are fresh shrimp. They're not fresh shrimp. They were previously frozen mm -hmm. and they thawed them and they sell them to you like that. And if you don't believe me, just ask them. There will occasionally be a situation where 
they will come in fresh. And that could be ones that have the heads on, you know, full body, legs, everything. But they are hard to buy, and they will go bad very quickly when they have the head on. They will go bad quick. They will get. Uh, they'll start to spoil even quicker with the heads on. So I've seen recently Costco has a big bag uh, with the heads on mm-hmm. frozen. Mm-hmm. And they look really good. Yeah. But I think they're like $25 a pound. Okay. I think- And you have to buy like a five pound bag of them. So it's like $130 yeah. for the shrimp. Yeah. I think it was, I was trying to remember where I read this and I think it was Serious Eats that they recommend buying the frozen shrimp with- the heads removed, but with the shells still on. That they said that would be your best bet. Yeah, they're probably right. I I will say I find a lot of things not a lot, but I find things every once in a while that's wrong on Serious Eats. I think Serious Eats' problem that they suffered. I, I believe the site used to be a lot better years ago. Now they're owned by some big company. I just think they have to they put out so much content that it's not. Sometimes I'll find something, I'll be like, that is completely wrong. Like I saw that article that you're talking about mm-hmm. on shrimp. It was just so, what's the right word? Superfluous? Like it was just, it was just, just too much information. Like almost meant to confuse you, I think. Oh. You, uh, how did you, did you leave that article thinking that, were you, were you better off or worse off after leading, reading I think it was. Article? I think it was a little bit helpful. It helpful. was long, yeah. but I mean, I think that's what they wanted it to be. That's the problem with writing content these days. And we're faced with this when we write our recipe posts. Longer is not always better. Mm-hmm. The true. art of being succinct has been put on steroids now with TikTok. You know, you're talking TikTok before. You know, you'll see the comments. We get them on our YouTube videos all the time. They're like, just give me the give me the summation. It's an eight minute video. And they want it. They're like, they're like, this is seven minutes and uh, 55 seconds too long. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're not going to learn to cook from five in a five second TikTok, yeah. but that's kind of what people are doing now. And even Google itself is trying to return search results on page one of Google that are more succinct and to the point. So it's a hard thing. Like, what do you leave in? What what do you? It you can't hard. put a novel every time. Yeah, you it just is can't hard. do that. Mm-hmm. So true. So Jim, I bought my frozen shrimp at the grocery store. I'm going home. I'm going to start cooking right away. What, what can I do to thaw those shrimp? I, I mean, safest way is just to put them in a colander, leave them in the fridge overnight. I just put plastic over it so the whole uh, fridge doesn't smell like shrimp. Uh, you could also speed thaw them under cold water. That's but right. it's always it's always better yeah. to, to do it the night before. Yeah. Uh, if you do speed thaw them, whichever way you do it, you got to make sure that they are completely thawed and then you really want to dry them off well before you start working with them. Though it doesn't matter if you're doing, if you're putting your shrimp into like, say like gumbo, jambalaya, tom ka, or, or any soup. You know, that's that's a different dynamic. Once it's thawed, you have a trick that you use in almost every shrimp recipe. And what is that? So I use baking soda. I, you know, in the, in, in the videos, I always, people always say, they're like, what are you doing with that baking soda? You're going to ruin it. They always want to know. So I always say, just look at Serious Eats because they have an article. Again, they have an article on everything. They have an article on how, like, how to, how, how to use a toothbrush. You know, like it's, it's, they have an article on everything. But that's not where I learned it from. I actually learned it from, I had a friend who owned multiple Chinese restaurants. So they, uh, they were, they, he said they did it, but I think every Chinese restaurant has been doing this forever. So as far as like what it technically does, you will find online and you will find even in that serious eats article. And I feel like every other source on the internet is copying what they wrote. It will still be ambiguous. It will not, it's not, they don't have a scientist. They don't have anybody. 
but they tell you, and I wrote it down here, they tell you, this is from Food and Wine. They say, alkaline baking soda slightly alters the pH of the shrimp, making them as plump and succulent as lobster and resistant to overcooking. Well, I kind of agree with that. I think that's right. Now, that's not a scientific explanation for it. The only bit of science is saying alkaline baking soda slightly alters. I don't know. I mean, they're, 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 I'm sure there is a science. There is science to this. Mm-hmm. It will not hurt your shrimp. Just don't use a lot of it. Um, you yeah, know, you what is need the ratio? A, you only need a quarter teaspoon or a half a teaspoon per pound of shrimp. Honestly, I've done both. I've even done up to three quarter. It doesn't. It doesn't impart any taste. If you use too much baking soda, it will have a slightly salty, almost metallic taste to it. But you have to really be. Yeah, you have to use a lot of it. Mm-hmm. All you do is you mix it with your shrimp. Fifteen minutes. You can just cover it. You know, you can put it in the fridge if you want, but you don't have to. And then when you're ready to do your shrimp, you can pat it dry, try to remove some of it. But you don't have to do that either. You can just cook with it. Yeah, I like that tip. And it seems a lot of the folks that comment on the website who have tried it have thanked you for it. They say that, helpful. but it could be placebo. It could they just have could have gotten good shrimp, and it might have worked. It's yeah. you know again, unless you're doing like a real science, real science, which. There is no real science over here, you know, and uh, and on mo- mo- most sites, there's not real science. Real science is boring. You'd have to, like, design. Remember that in, in school, like how you actually do a real experiment? Mm-hmm. You would oh, need a lot of shrimp for that. We had to do, a, we did a food, well, we didn't do it. Our daughter did it when she was in fifth grade for a science fair. Do you remember that? That was actually a food-related I do remember science that. fair experiment yep. where we tested if eating a hot pepper elevates the temperature in your mouth and we did it with one of those um what are those the the thermometers that you like the laser thermometers what are those called yeah which those are not accurate to begin with those are infrared infrared yeah yeah i use it for the pizza oven you know to tell me like i put it on the on the steel yeah yeah, yeah, so we did that. That was cute. That was yeah. kind of fun. Do you want to talk about different types of shrimp? Yeah, because- I mean, well, well, there's a lot of shrimp, types of shrimp, and I don't really buy too many different types just because the more obscure types are a lot more expensive. I actually have most of the really, like, different types I have at restaurants. Like, we just had really a uh, unique one the other night. Mm-hmm, ruby that's red, right. Ruby that red was, shrimp. Uh, royal red? Royal red or ruby red. Or they called them ruby red there. Uh, they tasted like... Very shrimpy, like extreme. I mean, really seafoody, and the texture was closer to like bay scallop or fish. Mm-hmm. Um, very good. The, I, yeah, the shrimp I buy from the store do not taste like that. Yeah, they were really good, and I think. I mean, I don't know because I didn't ask the chef, but I would imagine that he probably made a shrimp stock. Oh yeah, for that sauce. Yeah, he probably had because the heads. it was very shrimpy. Yeah, he probably had the heads and you know the shell and. The, the legs, everything, and he probably he probably made a, a beautiful stock with that. And then when he was making his sauce, probably did the garlic, the onion, a little bit of wine, and then and the stock reduced that to like to like ultra shrimpy levels <laughs> before adding the tomato. And what I like what he does, and this is that place Trattoria that we we spoke about in the past. It's it, in my opinion, it's the best Italian uh, restaurant anywhere near where we live. He will always uh, chop the shrimp into like little pieces for the pasta, which is really nice for the bite size, if, especially if you don't like tails, which we get a lot of comments about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and actually we do have a, a listener question okay. about that. So we, we'll, we hold can, that yeah, we'll hold that, we'll to, hold the that to the end. I, 
I picked that because yeah. it pairs really well with this episode. So yeah. I don't want to get get ahead of us with with the question. So all right. So obviously, you know, royal red or ruby red, whatever the shrimp type is that we had the other night, is hard to come by. Um, Same most, thing for rock shrimp are hard to come by too and expensive. Actually, now that you mentioned rock shrimp, I did so much research on shrimp. I actually Good. learned a lot about shrimp. Did you know that rock shrimp used to be considered a trash fish? Meaning when the fishermen would catch it, they would throw it back. Do you know why? Probably something to do with it was too hard to eat. The shells were too hard yeah. to remove. In the 1960s, a fisherman invented a device that would allow you to easily split rock shrimp shells. Um, but apparently, and I think I've had them before at a few different we've restaurants. Had it, we've had it in his place. He served That's it. That's right. Yeah. We've had it at restaurants. I've never had, I've never made them at home because I've just I've never not, even seen them I in haven't the seen store. Them. Yeah. But apparently they're very sweet and they have a flavor that's similar to spiny lobster or Dungeness crab. They're delicious. I remember he did he did a dish with uh, like thin slices of Calabrian peppers, like fresh ones. And um, we did we had this when we were sitting outside. So it was like a year or two ago. Yeah, that's right. It was so good. But yeah, I'm kind of like, I normally buy the shrimp from Costco that are predominantly, it'll say on the bag, they're a product of Thailand or Vietnam or China. They're white shrimp, they're called. And they don't have, I would say, they're, they're, they don't have the qualities of the shrimp we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But they're good too, and they're easy to prepare, and they're inexpensive. At Costco, for I think U25, so it's like 25 per pound again, they're up and they're they already come peeled and deveined. And remember, deveining means the intestinal tract is removed. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what it means when it says it on the bag. Yeah, which actually that is you can eat that. Yeah. It is safe to eat. Yeah, a lot of Chinese restaurants don't don't do that. Yeah, like the peel and eat shrimp that you'll get if you go to a Chinese buffet. Yeah. They don't devein it because no. it's still they, peeled. They don't it's even devein it when on. they when they do that that delicious, you know that mayo one that they do with the wal yeah. honey walnuts. Yeah. Oh my God, that is like the best dish. <laughs> honey walnut shrimp from a Chinese restaurant. They do it, they fry the shrimp in, first of all, they butterfly them. So maybe they, they, maybe they, they, yeah, they, they, have, do they do have to devein it for that. But they butterfly them. So they're like wide open and then they coat them in probably like a rice flour mixture and fry them and they get like crunchy almost. And then there's these honey walnuts that have you know a ton of sugar and honey and then they um, make this mayo dressing. It's, I feel like it's mayo based, which it is, which is odd because it's a Chinese restaurant. But yeah, but is, I mean, this is American Chinese we're talking about here. Uh, and there's probably like they probably put some like um, cooking wine or something. I don't know, but it's so good and it's it's it looks simple. I would love to do it's that. So good. Should do a YouTube video for that. Yeah, and start making Chinese. The, the place that had the the best was the, that buffet that used to be in Huntington oh, on yeah. Long Island. East Buffet. It's not there anymore. No, they had so many problems with like workers' rights abuse. I'm, you know, who knows what they were doing. Their food was excellent, but they, that was a, that place was not run properly. The waiters would tell you, they would be like, don't give me a tip. Can you, can you give it to me in cash? <laughs> so, which that's, that's never a good sign, you yeah. know? The other type of shrimp that I'm usually able to find at Whole Foods, and we have gotten it a few times, is the Gulf shrimp. The pink Gulf shrimp. Pink shrimp, yeah. And but that's always frozen. 
I've seen them fresh. Well, they're not fresh. I've seen them de-thawed de- uh, and on the counter in Whole Foods. They're good. Yeah. They're good. They're, they have a more of a, they're more potent, I think. They have a, a more, I don't know. I, it's, it's not it's not really helping you by saying more shrimpy taste. I don't know. They, I find that the the white ones don't have that much of a taste, yeah. if, that, if that makes sense. So it, it does. So if you'll allow me to read <laughs> something that I did find out. And it's not necessarily the pink gulf shrimp. It's really the um, the brown gulf shrimp. They prefer the warmer water um, where they have like a lot of, there's more vegetation in the water there. So that's kind of what the brown gulf shrimp will feast on. And the vegetation that they're eating contains a compound known as bromophenol, okay? So the brown ones will have more of that ocean umami flavor because of what they're eating. Whereas the pink and the white gulf shrimp, they prefer to go down towards the bottom where it's sandy and there's not as much of that vegetation down there. So they're eating other stuff. So they're slightly less potent than the brown gulf shrimp. We're not an expert on these type of shrimps and everything. And I don't know anybody who really is unless you bring on somebody who owns a seafood market but i what i am pretty good at is knowing good dishes okay so so speaking of you knowing which shrimp dishes to make and being an expert i'm not an expert i'm not an expert on anything remember we already spoke about that i am not a chef (laughs) oh somebody told me in the comments they said they said guy fieri is a chef he was trained at unlv blah 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 i'm gonna address that Listen, if I go to any school, I'm not anything, okay? I'm just trained there. He didn't work in these places. He's been on TV forever, all right? And not even cooking. So I'm not trying to hate on the guy, but please, just because he went to culinary school like Bobby Flay did, they are not the same type of chef. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bobby Flay is... You're not equal because you come out of culinary school with... Gordon Ramsay. Right. Like, like that's that's the thing. Like if my daughter goes to culinary school, which she's going to, I can guarantee you she won't be as good of a cook as me. Not for a while. It'll still take her years to catch up. And that's not me. That's not arrogance on my part. It's just the truth. I've been cooking for 30 something years. She goes to culinary school for a year. She's not going to be better than me. I, I I mean, do you agree with that? Or do yeah. I sound, do, does that, is that an arrogant statement? I think that credentials don't always equal expertise. In fact, most of the time, credentials do not equal expertise. Yeah, it's called you have credentials. It's credentialitis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if I go to law school, doc, medical school, and uh, get, pass the accounting exam and whatever other test, that doesn't make me an expert in all those. I'll, I become an expert when I then do those mm-hmm. as my life's Once you've work. practiced. Yeah. Right. Okay, moving yeah. on. Okay, so what, Sorry. what are some of your favorite recipes to make with shrimp. And I, it's funny, like I'm gonna say ones that aren't on the website yet, and but one is coming. I've had it ri- I've had the recipe written up for months now, I just haven't gotten around to doing it, which is uh, shrimp parm. So oh. yeah, anytime you fry shrimp, it's amazing. Just as we were talking about the Chinese version with the mayo and walnuts, that is phenomenal. Get it if you uh, live near a Chinese place that makes it. Uh, the same thing, shrimp parm is amazing. And it's a very, Unorthodox, un-Italian, but very Italian-American dish. And it's really good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're mixing 
cheese, multiple cheeses with shrimp. Which is a no-no for big no-no purist Italians. Big no-no, and another great one that you can do, and this is kind of a variation. So around here, all all in Long Island and and the city, and you know the surrounding area, a lot uh, a lot of uh, old, more of the old school Italian uh, restaurants will do calamari arrabbiata, and the way they do it is they deep fry the calamari, and they make a thicker sauce made with mostly tomato paste and a lot of cherry peppers. And then when that calamari comes out of the oil and it drains, Mm -hmm. they take a little bit of that sauce, they put it on and they toss it and then they throw like basil leaves in there. And it is phenomenal, but you gotta eat it right away because you're putting wet sauce on the crispy calamari and you wanna keep it crispy, yet kind of saturated with the sauce at the same time. So it's not a dish really that does well taking home or or door dashing, you know, like that, that wouldn't be a good idea. So- Another way to do it would be if you don't like if you don't want to do the calamari, do shrimp. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. exact thing. It's delicious like that. Also non-Italian food, but you did make a gumbo. You did put shrimp in that, even though I think shrimp is not traditionally in gumbo. It's in Creole. It's not in Cajun. That's right. It's yeah. in a Creole gumbo, not a Cajun gumbo. But that I think is one of my favorite recipes that you use shrimp. And those are an example where you don't have to dry them off or anything. You just mm-hmm. put them right in your gumbo before you serve it. You only have to put them in like three minutes before and the hot liquid will cook the shrimp. Yeah, yeah. You gotta do it quick. You don't wanna leave them in too long, but it's so good. And I don't think we're gonna get to this at all, but never shortcut by using pre-cooked shrimp for any dish. I know I didn't bring it up today and we do get questions about it. So I figured, let me just jump in here because I know some of you might be thinking for that gumbo, I could just use the pre-cooked. Just do yourself a favor. Don't use pre-cooked shrimp. I know they sell it. I don't know why they sell it. They must sell it because people buy it, but you're not going to have, you're not going to have anywhere near as good of results by doing, by, by using that product. Yeah. And speaking of pre-cooked shrimp, I would also say a lot of people buy like those rings, um, cocktail, shrimp cocktail, waterlogged, and they're so waterlogged and they're like kind of just limp. They're not good anymore. It's so easy to make shrimp cocktail. Yeah, a couple minutes. Just, yeah. yeah, it's so much better. Big shrimp. We got a recipe for shrimp cocktail on the site. It's you know you're just cooking the shrimp for like two minutes in hot water. We, I make like a little bit of a stock for it, but you could just boil it straight in water yeah. and get a good cocktail sauce. It's so some good, lemons. so good. It's like rust. It tastes like the shrimp shrimp cocktail you would get in a restaurant in a steakhouse. Like steakhouses always have the best shrimp cocktail. Mm-hmm. You go to Peter Luger, you go to your favorite steakhouse, whatever it is, they're using the U12 shrimp. They are massive and they look beautiful when you get the crushed ice in like the glass mm-hmm. and you put them around there. Yeah. That's a good one for a dinner. Like if you're going to do a fancy dinner for your, you know, your date, that would be something that I would put on to impress. And we're thinking about doing a full episode on that. So if you're interested in that topic, leave it leave it in the comments because we will probably do that one uh, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. I right? think that would be a fun one to do. Yeah, because I have so many ideas. Like, in, I know the normal one is always a steak, but there's plenty of other ones that are great too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the most iconic Italian-American shrimp dishes is shrimp scampi. Absolutely. And that's easy to make. Very right. That's an under thirty. We talked about that in last week's episode. The under the the real the doable thirty minute meals, mm-hmm. and that is one of them. Yeah, and we also have the shrimp scampi rolls. Yes, similar to a lobster roll. Yes, which those are just so good. And I said it in the video. I borrowed that idea from DJ's Clam Shack, which is 
a local place here, but they have multiple locations. I actually think they have a couple locations in Florida too. They serve great seafood. They're kind of like that, you know, like the shack type places you'll see on the side of the road and yeah. like a beach community that have all the fried seafood. Yeah. And actually we just went there the other night and what they had one of my favorite shrimp dishes ever, which is coconut shrimp. That's what and, I actually got for my yeah. dinner. Cause for me, I like anything with coconut. And when you just pair coconut with shrimp and then they give you that Thai chili Thai sauce. Thai chili with sauce. It. Oh, you know oh man, we got to put so that good. one. We got to do that one on the side too. We are, you know, we're, we're sticking to the Italian, Italian American theme for the most part on the site. But, you know, as the site gets bigger and bigger, you know, as I said before, there's, there's 410 recipes there. At some point, maybe it's at number 700, there will not, that we will have probably gone through most of the recipes that that you would think of, and we will venture off into more stuff. And because I love entire, you know, we, we love eating everything. We do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other shrimp dishes you want to talk about? Well, the shrimp, the lemon garlic shrimp pasta is a really simple one. It's essentially like a shrimp scampi mixed with linguine. Shrimp fra diablo is an extremely, it's, it's everywhere in this area of the country. Every place makes it. That's a spicy shrimp dish. Shrimp franchise. Shrimp franchise. This is probably the most recent shrimp dish on the site. I butterfly the shrimp and franchise means in the French style, uh, though it's traditionally, it's an Italian American dish. Normally it's done with chicken, but by butterflying large shrimp, you dip it in flour first and an egg, and then you fry it in butter and a little bit of olive oil and butter. Only for a couple of minutes, you take those shrimp out, put them on paper towels to rest and then you make your delicious lemon franchise sauce. And all you do then is add that shrimp back in and toss. Mm -hmm. It looks beautiful and it tastes amazing. That's right. Yep. So make good. that one. That's so a good, good one to make. It is. Yeah. We're moving on to what's coming up this week for Sip and Feast videos and recipes on the website. The video that we'll be putting out on Thursday will be Riso Al Forno. And then the two recipes we'll be adding to the website this coming week will be eggplant parm, Neapolitan style. How do you make that, Jim? I'm sure there's people in Naples that don't make it exactly this way, but from my research, it it's kind of done this way. It's actually kind of done similar to franchise again. So you're taking the eggplant slices, they go in flour, pat them, pat off the flour. You, don't, you just want a very thin coating. And then you dip into a mixture that is made up of eggs, pecorino romano, and parsley and a little bit. I put black pepper in there. You could put a tiny bit of salt, but you don't really need it. Basically an egg and cheese mixture. And then you're frying in olive oil. Mm. And then you're doing your standard, you know, your standard egg, uh, eggplant parm with mozzarella, more cheese, basil, and sauce on each level. Delicious. Yeah. Delicious. It's my favorite way to do it, though. I do like the, the, the breadcrumb one is more of the Americanized one. And then we also have a Sicilian one on the site, which is and I, I don't know if it's this is how they all do it in Sicily either, but that one is just no coating at all. It's just fried in olive oil, kind of how pasta alla norma is mm -hmm. done. That's my favorite way to have it because I feel like you can taste the eggplant even better when there's no breading on it. I get that, and it is really good that way. I, I think the coating, whether it's the way, you know, the egg and cheese one or the Basically, the breadcrumb one is egg, cheese, uh, flour, egg, cheese, and breadcrumb. So it has like the thickest coating. I think those ways kind of when you're doing it in the big baking dish with the sauce, mm -hmm. it kind of all goes together. Like it, it absorbs does. it. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final recipe that will be going out next week will be the zucchini bread with 
cream cheese frosting. Okay, so the zucchini bread, delicious. And that one and the riso al forno, remember the riso al forno, that means baked rice. That one is, I put both of them up. When I make these dishes, I always put them up on Instagram in story form, let you know what we're working on. And there were a ton of comments about both of those. So people are anxious for, for both of these. The zucchini is something that you have a ton of this time, whether you're growing it yourself or a farmer's market, but you can make the zucchini bread all year long. Tara made it. She designed this whole recipe and the cream cheese frosting is just insane. <laughs> During that week, we also made a pumpkin bread, chocolate chip pumpkin bread, which we won't publish that yet. Uh, and we were just, we were putting the cheat, the cream cheese on top mixture on top of that too. Yeah. So good. And then the resale al forno was just, I did it one time. I did it for the site, just for the website, which it's already there if you want to see it. So you don't have to wait for the video. Tara and the kids were just like, you have to make a video for this one now. And, and then people were asking about it. So that was like a change of plans. Normally we're pretty good about having everything planned way ahead of time, mm -hmm. but sometimes you got to call an audible and this is a case that it's worth it. So it's a meat sauce. And then you're using arborio rice, you're baking it all together, just as how you would do like a big ziti or something. And this is just one way to do it. It has it's, peas. And peas. The cheese that it uses scamorza. is scamorza, which is just amazing. So this is kind of has a Sicilian bent, though scamorza is not a Sicilian cheese. I think it's a Calabrian cheese. Needless to say, it's a Southern Italian. Everything I make pretty much is, a, is Southern Italian food uh, that, that's Americanized. But you can also, I've seen dishes for Riso Al Forno done with just zucchini and ham, like kind of a white sauce with a lot of cheese. I've seen it done with eggplant pieces and like red bell pepper, which is, I think is kind of what my grandma used to do when she used to make something like this. I think you'll like it. I think so too. Let's move on to the questions. I love the questions. Hope you like the questions too. Hope I'm answering your question today. So I actually have two questions from the same person. Christine from Nova Scotia. So the first one is related to shrimp, which is why I, I selected this question. So Christine is wondering why in almost every shrimp recipe she sees that the tails are always left on during cooking. Is it supposed to add more flavor? She prefers to pinch them off be before she cooks them because she finds that it kind of makes a mess. So this is a question we get all the time, or not even a question. A lot of people just comment on how we shouldn't leave the tails on the shrimp. It's not a pleasant experience for the person eating the food. Why do you leave the, sh the, the tails on the shrimp? And do you find that it impedes your ability to enjoy the dish? So thanks for the question, Christine. I will tell you my opinion. I think it's right, but it is just, I, I didn't research this. Uh, I didn't, I don't know the question. I didn't know this quite. I don't know the questions. Tara has them written down. Uh, I think that restaurants would always use the shrimp for two reasons in the, in like say a pasta dish. You mean use the tails? Use the tails. I think that it bulks up the dish. So it's a little bigger. I think it's quicker for the cooks. It does give a little bit of flavor, but I don't think that's the main reason. I, I think it's more just to show that you're getting this much shrimp and these shrimp are big. So if you remove the tails and then the shrimp will look about half the size. And so I think that's probably the reason. I just do it out of habit too. I don't mind it, but I have learned from, especially the restaurant I was speaking about before, how almost always he removes the tails and and he's using those tails and everything to make a stock. And he even furthermore, he cut uh, further, he cuts those shrimp into pieces, which is a really nice experience biting 
into the dish because you're getting like kind of like if he does it with rigatoni or whatnot, every piece is roughly the same size, you know, bite bite size piece. Mm -hmm. So I would say, Christine, if you want to do it, definitely do it. Uh, if you do have a lot of shells and you buy shrimp that have, you know, the shells, uh, I mean, the tails and the shells and, you know, you get the heads, I, I would save all that and I would make a stock. If you just if you don't have heads and you just have the tails and the shells, you can, I have like bags in my freezer that I do it and I kind of like add to them. And then when I get enough, then it's worth it to mm -hmm. make a stock. And I haven't done any of this in my videos. We're, we're considering doing more advanced techniques, maybe for a course or for Patreon or something else, because most of the YouTube audience doesn't want that type of stuff. I, I know that. And especially for how we've gone the whole time, I, I, I can't just like flip a switch. In my own personal cooking, I do do a lot of stuff like that. So it will be nice to, I think, expand the things. And that'll probably coincide when we have like a, more of a test kitchen, like a bigger commercial space where we can do a lot more experimental type cooking. That's a good answer. So Christine's other question, she said that she she thinks it could kind of like fall under the food myths episode, but she wanted to know your thoughts on recipes that call for ingredients to be at room temperature. So she said she understands why some ingredients like butter or cream cheese would need to be because they're softer and easier to work with, especially for baking. But when it asks for eggs or yogurt or other things to be at room temperature, it, it doesn't make much sense. What do you think of that? I mean, it does make sense for baking, I think, even with eggs at room temperature. For When it comes to baking, if a recipe says eggs, room temperature, the, the creator of that recipe definitely did that for a reason. Yeah. It allows everything to come together yeah. more easily. More and, evenly. Yep. Um, I don't think it's always necessary, Christine, but I think that if, if the recipe creator specifies it, I would follow it first. If you get the results that he got or she got in that recipe, say like they have a website and they have pictures, or better, they have a vid videos like like we do. That's why we do videos, because when people say, this guy doesn't know what he's doing, I always like to just kind of show it that way. I think that's the best way to go about it. But I would follow that creator's recipe exactly. You get the results you want, then change that one thing on the next time. And if you don't get the results, then you know that they wrote the recipe like that for a reason. You know, uh, one of the best books that people always cite for any questions like this, is um, it's like made by Harold Harold and McGee. It's like a Bible on cooking techniques. And I think it's like the book that's used in culinary schools a lot. So again, sometimes things are just old wives tales and they're, they're not necessary and you'll find this out. And a lot of times, you know, you find these out through your own cooking, but that this, it might indeed be the case that you should, should listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think that you know, from from our perspective as recipe creators, I would think that if the person is is specifying that they're doing it for a reason, they're not just gonna like haphazardly. But I do think it depends on the recipe. Um, you know, I know Christine, you mentioned yogurt. I I don't know what recipe you're referring to that calls for yogurt at room temperature, but so if you're adding yogurt to a hot dish, if you take cold and you add to hot, you can then curdle it. So a lot of times you would temper something like that, which which is done in Indian cooking when they're adding yogurt. That doesn't seem to be the, what yeah. she's describing though. Yeah. So sometimes you just gotta learn, learn for yourself. Like one thing that always amazes people is when I take 
cream, heavy cream, which in America is like 33 or I think 35% fat. And I add it to my hot sauce I'm making. Say I'm making olive vodka and I just add it in. They're like, how did that not curdle? Well, because you'll see most recipes will tell you that it will curdle and you have to temper it. The recipe writer or person is not telling you the correct or not, or they're not giving you correct information. If you use half and half, then it will do that. If you use milk, it will 100% do it. But the heavy cream in America that's sold, it's not going to do that. So it has enough fat. It has enough fat. You learn this on you. You learn stuff like this on your own. And I'm telling you, this is like 99% of recipes, even when they add heavy cream, because I'm just thinking they don't use it enough and they don't know. Like maybe in their own house, they're always using half and half. So they think, oh, well, the heavy cream's going to do it too. It's not. It's not. It's never happened to me. I'm so confident I make the videos. I don't have like backup stuff going on. I know it's not going to (laughs) happen. Sometimes I do need backup stuff. Remember that time when I ruined the mascarpone? Yeah, I mean, but a lot of times, well, that wasn't your fault. Oh, I didn't ruin it. It was spoiled. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of times we do need to have backup ingredients because if we're in the middle of filming, it's really hard for me to like quickly run out to the store and get a replacement item. Backup eggplants are important. Now I have all the eggplant (laughs) outside in the garden, but when once that's done, which will be a few weeks from now, uh, eggplant is always a crapshoot. Sometimes it looks perfect. You cut it open. It's completely bad. Yeah. Okay, last question. This is from Jane. Jane says when she was in Florence, Italy last fall, she had a green tomato sauce pasta that was absolutely incredible. It was silky smooth and so good. She tried to replicate it at home. And I still had her green tomatoes around. She used a simple Pomodoro recipe, but just couldn't get there. Have you ever had or made that pasta? And do you have any hints for her? So Jane, I don't know that one. Uh, That sounds amazing though. I know Florence is, that's like really far up. It's the a little i think it's in the middle the middle okay yeah it's, it's tuscany tuscany they they do things very differently there like which i like it's all it has nothing it's nothing like the food that i make which is the southern italian stuff poposo is from florence and i know that one is very unique to me it's like only five ingredients a black pepper sauce but i heard in florence they put green a green sauce on top of that sometimes now i thought it was made i was thinking oh it's probably like a salsa verde made from like parsley, maybe spinach. Everybody thinks spinach when they think of Florence, Italy. (laughs) You're like, oh, chicken Florentine, which I heard is not even a dish from Florence. But going back to your thing, I'm going to investigate it now. It sounded really good. I'm I'm just wondering if that sauce is what they were putting on the poposo and not not what I was thinking. It it might be. Yeah. I tried to do a little bit of research on it and I found, I can't even remember exactly what I found, but um, I wanted to ask you because I thought that maybe if you didn't know what it was, maybe it's something that you would like to look into more and maybe try and recreate the recipe. I definitely will look into it. You know, that's the thing, like all the food here, everywhere here, it's all the same. It's really like, there's just a var- little bit variations on it. We do have this place called Pietro's that's near where we live. That is, is that supposed to be Tuscan food? I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure, but it, it's the reason all the food's the same is because of everybody who immigrated here was just from Southern Italy. But, and then, you know, that's the food that took off. So every place pretty much tries to duplicate the, the menu of the other place. And dishes like what you described, I've, I've, and I've been to so many restaurants. I've yeah. never, I've never come across that. I, I, when you're, the way, what you're describing is making me think of like a tomatillo, Mexican tomatillo sauce, <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't, isn't yeah. It? 
But I know they're not using tomatillos in Italy. Right, right. They're using green tomatoes. Yeah. But are they unripe tomatoes, like that They'll, are pulled off the vine? But or are they, all, an, or are they like a green variety? A ripe green tomato. Yeah, maybe. maybe like a heirloom type that's green. That's a good. It's a good question. It might yeah. be the case because I feel like gr like green tomatoes here, as we have them in the U.S., like that you would use to make fried green tomatoes, are just unripe tomatoes. That's right. And I don't know how good they would be in a sauce. Well, Jane, we're going to check it out <laughs> and uh, we'll report back soon. Thank you, Jane, for that, because we love to get suggestions from the folks that listen to us or, or watch our videos because we kind of see it as a challenge. 100%. Leave your questions and comments to podcast at sipandfeast.com. We will see you next time.